Resolute Square. Welcome to The Zero Line, produced by Resolute Square. I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and every week we'll be bringing you inside Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation against the Russian enemy, while explaining how a victory by us on the battlefield isn't just vital for the Ukrainian people, but for the world as a whole. We will push back against the lies regarding this war for freedom and take you straight to the front lines of the fight for democracy. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Sarah. Welcome back, uh, everybody, to the latest episode of Zero Line. I'm Lisa Senecal, executive editor of Resolute Square, and I am here with... I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo, Armed Forces of Ukraine, although very casual incognito right now. And I'm a contributor to Resolute Square in both the written word and with this podcast, The Zero Line with Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Last time you saw me in a truck, this time I'm sitting in a park in Odessa. <laughs> Ultimately, you talked to me in Kharkiv a few weeks ago. So I've been running around the country and I'm on actually a technical vacation for a week to work on a book that I announced was coming out yesterday in a video. And it's going to be focused on courage, wisdom, leadership of Ukrainian military figures and Ukrainian civilians that I've interacted with. And that will be hitting right before the elections in 2024. So we're aiming, I believe the publisher said, we're looking at August of 2024. So I had to get to work writing. And I told my commanders, I said, do you want me to write nicely about you in this book? I actually have to finish the book. <laughs> if you have to be in book jail somewhere, this is a nice setting. Although, and we do need to remember, put out there, you're still in a country at war. And it, you and I were talking before we started the podcast today about the the strange feeling of kind of life going on, people intentionally living their normal lives in yes. a war zone, which you're you're right in the middle of that that strange experience of we're at war and things look normal here, at, at least where you are right now. Let's talk about how things look versus the reality of what's going on. So I'm in Odessa, which is in the southern part of the country. And it's a port city. It's a city that is known for its culture. And it's a city that resisted an attempt by the Russians early in the war to force it to shut down through terrorism. However, in the last several months, terrorism has found its way back to Odessa in the destruction of grain silos, in the destruction of World Heritage sites. In the death of civilians, it truly is genocide being carried out by the Russians against Ukrainians. And ultimately, we've also seen it in just the constant air raids going off. I experienced it today as soon as I got off the train from Kiev, where you have to be aware of your surroundings at all times. So while you had a great observation, the people are going out of their way to be alive, to live their lives. And as a member of the armed forces of Ukraine and the Ukrainian defense forces, something we always talk about is we're fighting this war so the others are not enslaved by the Moscow regime, by the war criminals in the Kremlin, and ultimately so they have the right to go out and eat at McDonald's. Oh no, they're eating at McDonald's. Guess what? McDonald's is open in Ukraine 
And in Russia, it's no longer there. And that, I think, shows the difference between the Ukrainian people and what's on the ground. And that's why you can't always just base it off of your looks. You also have to understand what the true story is. And that's what's great about Resolute Square. And it's why I love to be associated with you guys, because it gets below the illusion of what reality is. And it actually tackles facts and truth and the reality behind the big stories. And there's no bigger story going on right now than obviously this global war that Ukraine is fighting with our partners and also what's happening back home in the United States with the attempt by some members of Congress to burn down our democratic institutions. We've had quite a few years in the U.S., but even within the last couple of days, things have gone to like we keep outdoing ourselves in the level of dysfunction and chaos and the number of hyperactive uh, and powerful fascists who are currently members of the U.S. Congress and, and hold positions, you know, all across the country and in state governments and state houses. So it's a deeply troubling time in the United States for the stability of democracy leading up to the 2024 election. Absolutely nothing is assured that the United States remains a stable democracy. And um, you've seen that instability in supporting democracies abroad with what's happened this week with the aid to Ukraine being stripped from the spending bill, our our 45-day stopgap, which can't be a comfortable situation in Ukraine. It's not. And what's frustrating about it isn't just the attempt to burn down these institutions, these pillars that have allowed the rule of law and the greatest republic in history to function through so much tumult over the last 250 plus years. It's also the fact that they telegraph their moves. Former Speaker McCarthy said in June, we would not be receiving a supplemental bill. We received words early last week that there would be a carve out in the appropriations bill. And don't worry, it was going to be brought back up. The problem is when you're dealing with folks that have been seen to time and time again, not follow through with their words, it put us in a very precarious state. So now it's not the 300 plus members of Congress on both the Republican and Democratic sides of the aisle that we're concerned with. We know that if a bill is brought to the floor, it will pass and be signed by President Biden with overwhelming bipartisan support. When is that bill going to get to the floor? Is that bill going to get to the floor? They're talking about Jim Jordan. They're talking about some others. And we just have to wait and see what the future Speaker of the House, who will be a Republican, uh, has in mind. And we're all watching it very closely. Again, it doesn't matter what they're doing domestically when it comes to their constituents. They are doing what they must do for the people who elected them. But when it is this performative theater, when it's this faux populist, That's when we become very, very frustrated and say, hey, we're fighting this global war. We're doing it in partnership with the United States. We're doing it in partnership with the European Union. We're doing it in partnership with the United Kingdom. And now the United States is really stepping back and and potentially abdicating the responsibility that the greatest nation in the world, the greatest nation in the history of the world has, has had bestowed upon its shoulders. Are we really doing this right now? The consternation's there, as is the concern. But I personally, 
And I tell all of my fellow soldiers and officers this and the civilians who ask me, never doubt the U.S. In the darkest times, our country shines the brightest then. I think the U.S. is ultimately going to come through. I, I don't think that we're going to abandon Ukraine. I don't know that we're going to get Ukraine everything at the speed that we should be. Those concerns are based in how things have been handled so far, because it, it could have saved lives and it, it could have made this a shorter conflict. But I don't think we're going to abandon Ukraine. I think we understand that Ukraine is on the front line of this fight for democracy. Putin absolutely cannot win. He can't even be perceived to have won if he holds a portion of the territory that he had annexed previously. You you have a very steady mantra of going back to the 1991 borders. There's no compromising on this. Putin needs to be put back in a box because if there's even the perception that he's out of it, it doesn't end with Ukraine. And that's what Americans really need to understand this isn't just a fight over Ukrainian territory. This is a fight over the growth of Russia with Putin's ambition to reassemble the Soviet Union. They want this Ruski Mir, Lisa. They want this Russia world that they believe they're entitled to. Yeah. They're an imperialistic, colonialistic, you know, despot, tyrant run land. Russia's a terrorist state. And you were saying that there can no, not even be a perception that Russia has been able to get any gains from this. We had every foreign minister from each European country, European Union country, meet in Kiev just a couple of days ago. We also had Joseph Burrell, who heads the uh, EU delegate, or he's uh, heads the European Union, I should say come to Ukraine, meet with the new EU delegation ambassador to Ukraine. They came to Odessa, then they met in Kiev. And I have a very good relationship with the man who carries out the uh, a lot of the projects for the EU. His name is Remy Duflo, true champion of freedom. His office, phenomenal uh, folks who really want to see Ukraine not just win a war, but win the future. And it's good to know that the EU, and I never thought I'd say this, but the EU is leading the way where the United States has traditionally been in that whole position. And because of this, it's giving me hope for the future of humanity and of democracy. But again, I I hope our leaders in the U.S. look at the EU and say, wow, we need to continue to be as resolute, no pun intended, as they have been. And we're going to step up and co-lead with these folks at the EU, with this new ambassador, with Remy's team, et cetera. And our leadership in the U.S., in Congress with Senator McConnell, in Congress with uh, Representative Jeffries and Representative Pelosi, and of course the Biden administration, have shown they care about Ukraine. Now let's just make sure it's not words, but it's obviously backed by tangible, a tangible partnership. You and I talk a lot about um, Russian propaganda and the constant need to speak the truth and push back against it. And it's it's not just the propaganda that that Putin spreads in Russia or that 
makes its way into Ukraine, but we see it constantly in the U.S. And I know there are growing concerns. There was a piece in the New York Times recently about the the growing concerns that that Putin will be ramping up and using new technology to expand his campaign. That is deeply troubling. But in the immediate term, we also have members of Congress who are repeating the Russian talking points and doing things to undergird the misinformation, like releasing reports that have been written, not even, we don't know who wrote them, but on corruption in Ukraine, which, you know, we had a a statement come out last night, was it the DNI, saying, you know, there isn't, we're just not measuring any significant corruption, misuse of U.S. funds. It's not happening. The Everything that we give them is being used so quickly because they're in the middle of a hot war. I have a number for you. As of the beginning of March 2023, so we're now talking six, seven months ago, we had already undergone more than 60 audits by the Department of Defense and the State Department. Since then, we've gone through dozens more. And we came out with a statement when there were some reports, uh, allegations of missing weapons, that we have a 99.9% control or knowledge in the supply chain of where every weapon has gone, every weapon has been utilized. No heavy weapons are missing, nothing's being smuggled out, nothing's being stolen. 99.9%. That's amazing. But speaking of technology, let's step back one second because you mentioned Russia is sowing misinformation, Russian is sowing disinformation. Russian soft power is a plague. Russian soft power is a virus. And ultimately, we see it through them filling vacuums where others would never think to look. So they're putting on a play in Latvia in two days called Truce, which is supposed to be about uh, its revisionist history regarding the 2014 Russian-backed attacks in the Donbass. We see that there are people in the world of heavy metal and and other musical pursuits, that they're carrying the Kremlin's water, as the saying would go, for Putin. And so they're filling all these areas. They're on the dark parts of the internet. And I don't mean the dark web. I'm talking about 4chan and, and, and 8chan and some of these other areas where they can just help spew the most vile statements And what this does and what the world needs to understand, because facts don't matter to Vladimir Putin and facts don't matter to the Russian propagandists, they don't need to convince anyone of anything. They just need to sow chaos in order to cause confusion and have folks doubt the other side. And I just went through a two-week investigation. I went through uh, questions over my statements as spokesperson of the Territorial Defense Forces, an investigation that ended yesterday. I was cleared of everything. I'm back in my role as spokesperson. What's interesting about that is that the narrative they put out was completely different than what I said. It wasn't, is this what she meant? It was literally, I said, A, the Russians flooded the world with B. And then that got picked up because we're not thinking anyone will believe it. I mean, I do, as this is my literal job is to fight this. Right. But U.S. media laughs 
Resolute Square doesn't laugh, but U.S. media as a whole laughs. We think it's ridiculous. We mock them, but we don't realize just how insidious it is and it takes root. So the narrative was, I don't even want to repeat it, but the narrative was, yeah, I said this and I would repeat it over and over and I'm proud of it. We will hunt down Russian propagandists and bring them to justice. That's what I said. The Kremlin didn't use any of those words except hunt to then put it out there. That gets picked up. That gets picked up by what we would call the alt-right news sphere. It's then funneled to members of legislative staff in Congress and the fascists uh, that are permeating the halls of our capital are more than happy to run with it. And so in my particular case, a letter got written to the director of national intelligence, the department of defense, et cetera. And what ended up at the end? Absolutely nothing. I'm back in my job and they're on to their next conspiracy. So again, the audience needs to realize it's not about the truth to the Russians. It's only about lies. And once we realize every word that comes from the Kremlin and the propagandist must be first viewed as a lie, that already puts us halfway to victory in this battle against Russian soft power and Russian propaganda. The Russian propaganda in the U.S., and you can watch its path, and very often it con- part of that path is coming through people like Tucker Carlson. We know the cast of characters who have their sure. online shows and podcasts where they do nothing but cycle Russian talking points through mm-hmm. the entire show, but find ways in the American public to take issues that that are real issues that people are concerned about and pit those issues against sending money to Ukraine and the the corruption piece that they have since the beginning of the war attempted to plant and and get people to pick up is tied into that because you're they want to pit money going to Ukraine to fight this war for democracy against money for unhoused people or aid for children and families. Let, let me jump in on that with the money for the unhoused people. They show the same clips over and over and they knowingly state they're in other locations. Sometimes they're not even in the United States, the clips right. they run. Right. But people are just willing to put it out there. And again, the critical thinking skills are what's missing so often in this discussion. Don't be paranoid, but make sure to look at everything with a critical eye. If any corruption is getting rooted out in Ukraine, that's a good thing. When when there is an announcement that somebody has been removed from a position because it's been identified that there was an issue with corruption, that's a good thing. That means somebody's looking for it. And people are losing their positions because of it. The fascists in the U.S. and, you know, the Russians feeding the propaganda in will twist that the same way they do that when fentanyl is seized at the U.S. southern border, that's a good thing. That means that fentanyl didn't make it into the United States and get distributed. You want those big seizures. I'm so glad you brought that up because somebody actually pointed that out. If you're seizing that, 
it means it didn't get into the United States. Right. So right. Is it better we that we just never have a story saying yeah. that we seized fentanyl? It means it's all coming in. 90% of Ukrainians view corruption as the second biggest problem in Ukraine behind the ongoing Russian invasion of the country. People are aware that it's a problem. President Zelensky and his team, along with SBU, which is the security services here, along with the anti-corruption group, NABU, along with defense intelligence, if it has something to do with military, are all working in unison, in conjunction, to go ahead and root it out. Not only for our partners, but because the Ukrainian people are demanding it. Right. Ukrainian people drove Yanukovych out because they knew he was corrupt. They knew he was a, a, in the Kremlin's pocket. And they're doing this to others. There's so many times where you read that, oh my gosh, the state seized something. But in reality, it was Russian agents sowing Russian propaganda, taking Russian bribes, and they ran when the full-scale invasion happened. And that's where it came from. So there's this constant, not just awareness of corruption, but a desire to actually root it out. And it comes from here first, in Ukraine. And our partners should be proud of this. I understand U.S. tax dollars must be spent in the absolute most responsible, efficient, effective way possible. I want that as a taxpayer. I'm certain you want that as a taxpayer. Rick, Stewart, every one of us want to make sure that our money is spent wisely. It is the best investment in U.S. foreign policy in the last 80 plus years to be spending it in Ukraine. There's no place that has been under a more harsh microscope than Ukraine. And for 19 plus months, Ukraine has shown why it is deserving of U.S. partnership, aid, and to call us and them each other's allies. Yeah, the average Americans don't have a good sense of the enormity of the U.S. defense budget and the tiny fraction of so small. What it, yeah, which is going to Ukraine. And that messaging of all this money is going to Ukraine gets, I was saying before, gets pitted against U.S. internal issues that need to get addressed. Our defense budget is separate from that. The reason that in the U.S. we don't address people being unhoused or hungry or not having medical care or, you know, all the problems that uh, societies have that the U.S. has and needs to be addressing, that's a political problem within, that's not a money problem. That's impasses in our internal politics. The money is there. But you have to have agreements between the two parties to be willing to spend that money in ways that's going to help people. But that money isn't, that potential money isn't going to Ukraine. That's still in the U.S. It's just not being appropriated the way it could best be used because we have a dysfunctional Congress right now. And, and let's talk you know, about- We can't agree on immigration. We can't agree on pretty much anything. You brought up some great points about the dysfunction, about not having the political will to solve the domestic issues. And let's speak about another aspect of foreign aid, foreign policy versus domestic policy. 
foreign policy is almost entirely in the hands of the Congress and the President of the United States. Congress with the budget, treaties, and then the United uh, sorry, the presidency with the Department of Defense and State Department. Domestically, we're talking cities, we're talking counties, we're talking states, we're talking the federal government, we're talking multiple cabinets within the federal government. We're talking health and human services. We are talking veterans affairs. And we can talk about every level at it. And so to suggest that it's moved from here to there is not just a misnomer. It's literally an impossibility. Right, it can't We remember this from 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Now I'm aging both of us. Oh my God, I'm sorry about this. We both look (laughs) cute, so it's okay. But when there was some talk about the testing with the education system and who was going to opt out of it or the block grants or the different grants for what we would know as Medicaid or or different food subsidies from health and human services. And so when you have states rejecting that, there's not so much the federal government can do. In Ukraine, the federal government is making a direct and absolute difference on behalf of hundreds of millions of people around the globe and have an ability to rapidly influence events in a way that cannot happen on the domestic policy side. If we don't address Putin and Russia now fully, the potential massive amount of resources of the United States that will be needed in the future to combat a more powerful and growing Russia out there attempting to annex more territory, absorb more of its former republics, that will create real financial hardship on the United States if we end up in an expanded global conflict. Our treaties state that we must defend any of those scenarios that you just talked about in the Baltic states in the former Warsaw Pact countries. We must defend them if we're called to. If we don't, we may as well go back to the policies of the 1930s when it comes to foreign policy. Ultimately, and here's a criticism, and I'm going to engage my free speech rights here. I think I'm going to piss off both Resolute Square and many others, but President Biden's a bit at fault here. Why? He's not sat down and explained to the American people the way you just did, Lisa, as to how important this battle right now is against Russia. No one has made a cogent argument directly to the American people as to what happens when Putin would invade the next country. Not if, because he will invade another country. And so he's, he's not even subtle about it. I mean, it's not that he has a secret plan. He has a very public plan. Exactly. He has no problem talking about. I just, I wrote a memo regarding what happens when countries have appeased Putin since the days of his invasion of Georgia in 2008. I'll tell you what the short answer is. Nothing happens to Putin when you appease him. He just grows hungry for the next attempt to conquer what he believes to be Ruski Mir. Again, There is no compromising with this tyrant. There's no compromising with this terrorist. Russia is a terrorist state that wants to devour everything in its path and murder all those that don't go along with them. And yet the administration has done a tremendous job in international diplomacy with this. 
but the administration is lacking when people are angry over $5 a gallon gas prices, when people are angry over interest rates that are not going down, when people are still concerned about inflationary pressures, and let's be real about it, Democrats and Republicans understand that there's some problems going down at the southern border. Mm -hmm. And so while our border patrol is doing an amazing job, and as you said, taking so much of the drugs off the street, they're overwhelmed too. But again, we are discussing these issues, and in 19 months, there's not been a sit-down on television explaining to the American people that, guess what? Russia is partially behind the problems at the southern border. Russia has their tentacles in Cuba. They have their tentacles in Venezuela. They have their tentacles in Nicaragua. They have their tentacles throughout the global south, Brazil. So for some parts of Mexico, there's actually a Russia caucus in the Mexican Congress. So we can tie everything back to this war. And again, the partners and you and all those associated with Resolute Square trying to push it, others who are are looking deeper trying to push it, but we need to hear it directly from the executive branch, how it ties together. And until that happens, I can see the frustration of the American people. I ask them individually to look more critically. But one reason we elect our leaders the way we do is so they can explain to the public why and how their tax dollars are being spent. The argument is easy. It sells itself. We just need somebody to go ahead and to make it. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. The, The messaging needs to be much more clear and consistent. There just has to be, there is a constant drumbeat from the far right and from all the tools that Russia uses to influence the U.S. populace. And if we aren't doing a good job of having a counter stream coming constantly with the truth and explanations that people can understand, we're failing in in our responsibilities to truly fight back. I love that, Lisa. A stream of truth. That's all we need. And yet there's this resistance to trying to push that out there. Our enemies never sleep. Our enemies are going at this 24 hours a day in every time zone, in every locale around the world. A special State Department paper just came out on the People's Republic of China's information warfare. That was released four days ago. It talked about how the PRC worked with the Russians and they would create their own echo chamber and then report each other's uh, statements in their different state-run media. I mean, ultimately, they have it down to a science, literally, and we are not even addressing the basic factors as to why we're doing this. And again, easy argument. Facts are on our side. We need leadership to step up and make it. Yep. You got to make it over and over again. It's not one speech. It is no, not one speech. Coming, and- coming in concert from every pro-democracy, pro-Ukraine outlet needs to um, be singing from the same sheet and and keeping it coming um, without interruption. All right, so we're going to wrap up. What uh, what do we need to watch for between now and next Thursday when we talk? I think our eyes have to be on the constant threat of Russian terrorism. We're proceeding on the front lines more than 1,100 kilometers, more than 700 miles of front lines. We're still advancing. However, the wariness and constant need to be 
understanding of the Russian threat of terrorism is something we're on guard for. Do not be surprised if there's a massive terrorist attack taking place while this dysfunction in Congress is taking, uh, you know, is, is, is happening. Why Russia knows how to fill vacuums with terrorism. And right now there's a power vacuum in the United States. Uh, Mr. McHenry may be a phenomenal leader for North Carolina's 10th district. I'm not sure that he is the best answer right now to be presiding over the House. And then let's watch what our partners continue to do in the EU. Slovakia has just elected a Russia-leaning prime minister. However, he is not. He's a prime minister-elect, let's call him. He's not put together a coalition. Hungary is making threats to blockade uh, some of the Ukrainian funding. Let's see what happens there. So again, uh, tumultuous times. The water is a little bit uh, choppy, but victory is going to be Ukraine's and a return to the country's 1991 borders will take place. And we'll look back on this as the challenges that were necessary to become a stable democracy here, one that was rooted in the pillars of the rule of law, talking about corruption, and of the democratic functions of how Ukraine is working, as I said, with our partners in the UK, EU, and of course, our home, the United States. Yeah, this is the big fight for democracy of our lifetimes. And we we can't falter, we can't fail. This is one that is an absolute must win. And I'm so glad you're over there Lisa. on the ground working um, as you do within uh, the military and getting the truth out, um, your, your anti-propaganda information and being able to get the facts to the American people through all the different channels that you use, including your work with Resolute Square, is just invaluable. And we really appreciate it. I'm so appreciative of, as mentioned, Resolute Square and all the partners that work with Resolute Square. And I'm grateful that you are helping lead the way in getting the stream of truth out. Thank you, Lisa, on behalf of all of us here in Ukraine. Thank you. Slava Ukraini. Kyrgyz Slava. Thank you for listening to The Zero Line, a podcast brought to you by Resolute Square. Resolute Square's mission is to inform, lead, and connect. And The Zero Line is one of the tools that followers of Resolute Square can use to fight back against tyranny while championing democracy. Please like and subscribe to The Zero Line wherever you podcast and follow us on Twitter at Resolute Square or visit ResoluteSquare.com. Thanks once more for hanging out at The Zero Line.